the All About Scentwork podcast. In this podcast, we talk about all things Scentwork. That can include training tips, a behind-the-scenes look at what your instructor or trial official is going through, and much more. In this episode, we have the privilege of talking with Judith Guthrie, all about using primary four-hour training. <laughs> Before we start diving into the podcast episode itself, let me do a very quick introduction of myself. My name is Diana Santos. I'm the owner and lead instructor for Scentwork University, Dogsport University, and Pet Dog U. These are online dog training platforms that are designed to help you achieve your dog training goals, and we're very fortunate to have a client base that's worldwide. For Setwork University in particular, we provide online courses, seminars, webinars, and eBooks that are all focused around Setwork. So regardless of where you are in your sniffy journey, we likely have a training solution for you. So to know a little bit more about me, let's dive into the POC episode itself. So we're very fortunate to have a conversation for the podcast with Judith Guthrie who holds many hats as far as Scentwork is concerned. She is a professional detection dog trainer and handler. She is a approved Scentwork trial official with many organizations. She is a professional instructor and trainer, and also is an accomplished competitor in her own right. So we're just going to dive right into the conversation where we're talking all about using primary for our training. So thank you so much for joining us for our podcast. We're delighted to have you on. So I just wanted to touch base with you because, again, you hold many different hats as far as the setwork community is concerned. You're also in the professional detection world where all of us little, you know, civilian people are like, ooh, ah, how exciting. <laughs> so <laughs> one of the things that I wanted to touch base with you about was the use of primary, because <laughs> there's definitely a lot of people in the sport world is like, get me off of this food or these toys. I want to go search for odor like yesterday. So I just wanted to talk to you about what you thought that, what your opinion is on it and how you leverage it in your training and whether or not people should be maybe use, viewing it a little bit differently. So okay. what were your thoughts? So, I mean, my first thought is primary good. Uh, basically, if, all right, so in the detection world, we use primary a lot for a long time, all right? There's a couple of reasons for this. One of the reasons is because a lot of times we don't actually know, like if we're starting with a puppy or an adolescent, we don't actually know exactly what their job is going to be yet. We know that it's detection, but we don't know, are they going to be a bomb dog, a drug dog, a bed bug dog, you know, a cell phone dog, et cetera. So we're not a hundred percent sure what they're doing. So that's one reason that we use primary because we can teach all the skills for how to work odor with the primary, and then we can just pair it to odor later. But there's a couple other reasons that prime, that we use primary a lot. And it's because, and I apologize if you can hear the beagle in the background. It's okay. <laughs> um, one of the other reasons that we use primary a lot in, the, in our young dog's development is because they're driven specifically for that object. Okay, whether it's a, whether it's a toy or food or whatever, their drive is to that. And because their drive is to that object, they um, will typically work harder They'll go through, like if they're unsure of something or anything like that, they'll typically strive through that moment much harder and um, much farther, right? A lot less struggle because they want the thing that they're reaching for. They're not having to sit there and go, I want that thing, but I, I have to do, I have to strive through this problem or I have to problem solve this. And then I have to find the secondary thing and then I get my primary toy, right? They don't have that whole thought process involved. It's very cut and dried. You strive through this, you immediately get the thing that you want. Really, Konya? I'm sorry. Oh, no, you're fine. <laughs> I have a terrier drinking in the background, so we're great. We're doing great. 
Cognac's like, I want to be part of this too. Right. So, <laughs> um, speaking of young Labradors. Right. Uh, anyway, so that is um, like a, another main and huge reason really to use primary is because they're much more driven to that primary object. And so eventually over time, when you pair with odor, um, they learn like through association, but it's still, it's never quite the same thing, right? They never strive quite as hard. So if we teach all of that on a primary object that they really want, we have a dog who is, ends up much more resilient in the end. So for those kinds of dogs, for people who are saying, okay, well, maybe that works in the detection world, but I am going to try to go get like ribbons and things. And there's like distractors that my dog has to worry about. So if I'm trying to teach all these concepts on primary, be it food or toys, now they're going to be finding all the food and toys in the search area, Judith, and I'm going to get my title. Okay. So there's a couple of things there. One is there's a reason proofing exists. Okay. So no matter what choice you make, this is, this is a huge thing to me. No matter what choice you make, there's a consequence to that choice, okay? So if I put my dog straight on odor and they don't know how to hunt yet, say, I can back chain them into a hunt, all right? That's not a problem. However, does my dog strive to hunt in the same fashion with as much exuberance and willingness, right? Um, are, they going to are they going to understand the concepts as much at, to get into the corners and to go up high and to self self detail when it's time to do that are they going to understand maybe I need to strive to get on a higher plane or a lower plane right now that's all stuff that they can learn by back chaining but there's a, not always but a lot of times just a piece of that try is missing right it's just that that little extra that little extra oomph that little extra spark a lot of times isn't there or it takes much longer to teach it, all right? But yeah, if you use primary, then you have to proof them off stuff. You're gonna have to proof them off stuff anyway. If they're working for a reward of cookies, right? Do you think that just because you put your dog straight onto odor and you never did any pairing or primary exercises that your dog isn't still gonna want the cookie? Right. <laughs> like I'm just saying. Yeah. Um, no, it's true. And then on top of that, you need to know what your dog looks like. So I will never forget personal story time, right? I will never forget. I was competing in an elite NACSW and it was like one of those container searches from hell, you know, a hundred boxes and there's distractors everywhere and everything. Right. And he hits this box and he's like, bam. And he's like trying to throw the box. Like he's being a very bad container dog. And I'm like, that's what he looks like on steak. We're going to keep going. Well, they put up a map later. That was steak, right? So I knew my dog and I had trained enough things that even when it went wrong, I knew what he looked like when it went wrong. Is that? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. But could you maybe like talk a little bit more about that? Because I think people have a misunderstanding of what proofing is. That proofing is though the dog is never, ever going to make a decision that we didn't want them to make that that basically their nose turns off to anything else that could be in the search area that it's now, well, now I proved them. They only find birch. Could you maybe you know talk about okay, that a little so bit? <laughs> in a perfect world, that's true. I mean, in a perfect world, our dog will not hit on food, toy, you know, whatever it is that we proved off of. Okay. But that's a perfect world. How perfect is our world to be honest? Right. <laughs> so part of proofing is to teach your dog. I don't want you to hit on X, Y, and Z. Okay. But Part of proofing 
or, or a consequence of doing proofing training is also learning what your dog looks like on other things. So the dog that I was just talking about was proofed against food like crazy. All right. But he has a super, super, super high food drive. So um, even though he really wants to be part of this, um, even though he understands I'm not supposed to alert on food, like there's these moments where he loses a little bit of self-control, just like the human that's going, I won't eat those Twinkies. I won't eat those Twinkies. I won't eat those Twinkies. And then suddenly they're like, I can't help it. I must buy Twinkies. Right. Right. So, I mean, in a perfect world, if you decided not to eat Twinkies, you'll never eat a Twinkie again, but. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I just think it's helpful for people to have a better grasp of what these things actually are. So the decisions that they're making based upon what they may hear or see or whatever else is more based in reality than just a, a periphery understanding or even a think of understanding of what these things actually mean. Of, yeah. Well, I want to do competition. Competition uses odors. I don't know where the hide is and there may be distractors. So I'm going to immediately before my dog knows anything, do blind hides with odor alone. And I'm going to have a bunch of food out in the search area too. And I'm going to correct my dog every time they go to a food. Like, yeah, I think that would fine. probably, that'd be bad. That's going to make a dog that's <laughs> conflicted because they don't know, they won't know what choices to make. Right. Um, can, when you have a conflicted dog, you know, obviously their hierarchy of behavior at that point, they're, they have no idea what they're supposed to put the emphasis and importance on. Um, and that's another thing that goes into using primary to teach the search behaviors and to teach um, what odor does and how to work odor and all that type of stuff, right? Because that's, we're not just using primary, like we're, if you use primary, whether it's paired or whether it's um, by itself, you are teaching them all about odor theory and making that mental map and that mental library for them, right? Of like a memory library of all these different things that odor might do with their thing, okay? So hierarchy of behavior wise, there is a piece of that if you go that direction with primary where their unfound odor is food, right? Their, their unfound odor is food. And so there is a certain point in that hierarchy where that is their highest expectation. And that is what they think that they're supposed to find or a toy, whatever it is. So when that happens, there is a shift that you have to go through when you transfer to odor that you have to have some patience and understanding, right? Like it's not like, boom, we're there. It's all right, you learned all this theory. Now I'm gonna pair these together and then take the primary out. So I'm gonna pair them together so that you have an understanding that this odor is important, or I'm going to do marker exercises with odor and food separate so that when you go to, right, depending on how you decide to imprint, there's different ways to do it. But basically I'm telling you now that, now odor means you get your primary. So you still get your primary, but you get it as a secondary step. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So um, for people, so I think you're about to talk about that is the next step of how do I get from there to now the dog is doing odor right. and not, yeah. Yeah, so when that happens, there is this process where their hierarchy of behavior is shifting, right? So it's like the tree branch is moving around to, to reestablish themselves in a new growth pattern. And you have, to under, you have to understand and have some patience with that as you go through the process and you do it step-by-step. Step. And when I say go through the process, that makes it sound like it's like takes forever. I've literally taken dogs that were on primary for a year and put them on odor in a week and then they were hunting odor. Like that's not... Um, 
it, it doesn't have to be a long process. You just have to be aware of the steps that are involved in the process. Um, and you have to be aware that during that period, don't get frustrated as that shift in their hierarchy is happening, right? Because as the shift in their hierarchy is happening and odor is becoming important and, the, and their food or their toy or whatever, you're now starting to say, no, I don't want you to find that. There's gonna be some confusion on the dog's part for a short period. And it's our job to make that as simple as possible for them and to not get mad at them if they make the wrong choice because they're not trying to be a bad dog. Again, dogs reason on the level of like a two or three-year-old, right? Depending on their problem-solving ability and whatnot. So if a, if a two-year-old toddler wouldn't understand what you just said to them or what you just laid out in front of them, your dog's not going to understand it, right? They can't reason past that. That doesn't mean that they don't have a lot of intelligence and a lot of puzzle solving, but that's the level of their their reasoning intellect, right? Which is not quite the same thing as their puzzle solving ability. Mm -hmm. Oh, that, that's really helpful, I think, for people to, I think, have a different perspective and a different approach for how they may do it of just being, as you said, a little bit more patient and a little bit more understanding and be like, oh, you know, this makes perfect sense in my head, but now I need to translate this to the dog <laughs> when they may have thought, oh, you wanted me to find this thing, mm -hmm. but, but now you want me to go find maybe that thing, but can I still get that thing? Like, it's really confusing for them, particularly if we are breaking it down to small enough pieces, which again, I really want to you know, commend you for all the things that you've been putting together for us. You are excellent at breaking things down and concepts into very small little chunks and pieces where I think it helps people along the journey a little bit better, appreciate really how complicated all of this is at the end of the day, but that you're able to really encapsulate, okay, so we need this concept to be understood. It's not just simply follow step one, step two, step three. It's you have to understand this concept, get us understanding, then maybe you can build off it to do X, Y, or Z. You do yeah. a really nice job about that. So um, <laughs> it's nice to let everyone know when they do well. It's just, it's amazing because particularly for the webinars you've been doing lately, we've had instructors take them as well. Like this is really helping me because now I can explain this a little bit better to my clients to have mm -hmm. them better understand what the concepts are, what's going on you know, behind the curtain, right? Anyone can go throw a hideout and be like, oh, look, the dog found the hide. They get it. But actually maybe a lot more complicated than that. And you're yeah. doing a really nice job of explaining all that. So good job. Yay. <laughs> I got a cookie. <laughs> <laughs> So for people who are like, okay, that sounds interesting. I think I kind of understand what you're talking about. How do I know if I'm potentially not being patient enough or that I'm not breaking it down or I'm not being clear enough when I'm going from primary or pairing to now I just want the dog to find odor or I'm doing my proofing exercises. How do I know that maybe I'm, I'm, I'm making a mistake, going too fast, being confusing to the dog? Okay, so couple, there's a couple of things there. First off, my typical progression for knowing when I can add more to something is that I do three to five reps in a row. And there can be a lot of variation to what a rep is. Okay. So I can't be like, this is exactly what your reps going to look like. Um, but I do three to five reps in a row successfully. Right. And I don't mean like I did two and then messed one up and then did two. And so that means I did four reps, which is three to five. No, I mean, I did three to five correct reps in a row where we rocked it before I take the next step forward. Right. Um, I don't want to hang out there too long because then you get the dog that sits in your kitchen and won't sit anywhere else. <laughs> um, and then, but I also don't want to um, go faster than that because if my dog can't show me at least that much consistency in repeating the behavior, then how am I, then 
then I can't know that they understand it, right? I mean, I'm not saying that there can't be other ways to know they understand it, but that's part of how I understand that they understand it, is that they're demonstrating it to me by re by giving me repeatable behaviors. Okay. Okay. Um, so the next part of that is, I mean, this isn't always the simplest, so you have to kind of think a little bit, but don't be afraid to sit down away from your dog and think about this, is I try to look at something and go, well, what are the actual pieces or components to the thing that I'm about to ask you to do? And then, do, and then can I work each component individually before I put the components together? Does that? Yes, that but I think that people can be like, that's great. What are the components? <laughs> <laughs> well, it would depend on what we're talking about. So if we're talking specifically about, like, give me a piece. Sure. So my, I've been working on, I did primary, then I did pairing. Now I want to do just odor. What, okay. How do I do that? Okay. So, um, well, the first question would be, how are you, so are you doing pairing in boxes? Are you doing pairing just like your hunts are pairing, et cetera? So, so it would be like the hunts. So basically they'd be doing like interiors and exteriors. So they're having okay. a, a birch hide out and it's got a treat on it. And they've been providing okay. secondary reinforcement as well. So the next step I would do, if I'm, if I'm getting lots of consistency with my dog hitting my paired hides, right? And I'm assuming that you're hitting a paired hide, they're, they're hitting it, getting the pair um, food or whatever, and then you're also stepping in and giving an additional reward. Right? So I'm going to make that assumption in this story. Yep. Um, my next question is, or my next thing there would be, all right, well, if I take the same exact thing and I take my paired hide, but I put it so suddenly my dog can't get the pair, right? So it exists, right? But they can't get it because it's like inaccessible in some way. Um, what happens, right? And now that doesn't mean I'm going to do that and then go, all right, like I want to see that you are digging into this chair stack because that's not our goal. But what I do mean is if literally in the time it would take me to come in and give them a reward, if I have that inaccessible, um, are they going to leave before I get there? Are they going to hang out long enough that I can step up and do and give them my reward? So then the picture looks the same. It basically looks the same, except instead of them grabbing their cookie, they can't quite get their cookie. But then I got there and gave them their cookies. So it looks the same, right? Because I'm I'm giving them their reward. Everything's the same, except for the fact that they didn't self reward on that one cookie. Right now, if I have that consistently and I have another question that goes into this, too, am I when I'm coming in? on the paired hides for a, to reward, am I waiting for my dog to make a decision and communicate it to me? Or am I just, as soon as they hit the food or the toy, am I in there either playing or rewarding with more food? So typically so, people are doing the latter. They're waiting for the- They're not waiting for a decision. Okay, that's okay. just as soon as the dog hits it. Well, I'm just making sure. Cause like I said, it makes, it's hard for me to say, oh, it's X, Y, Z. If I sure. don't know what you're doing. Okay. So in this specific case, if you're not waiting, you're just getting in there, then that's my next step is will the dog wait long enough for me to get there? Right. So they weren't able to self-reward, but instead of leaving immediately, I had a half second to step in or whatever. Okay. Well, if I have that, now I'm going to intersperse or intermix my, my primary and my, or my paired hides and that they're accessible and paired hides that are unaccessible. All right. I'm going to, so that some of them are accessible, some of them, they can't get to the paired. I'll do that a few times. I'm getting some consistency. All right. Then I'm going to say, okay, well, on that unpaired one, instead of me still rushing in, if I wait a half second, right, 
like a half second more before I step in, will they stay? If they don't, don't panic, don't worry, just go, okay, my dog's not ready for that, right? Take that step back to where you were. But if you can do it, cool, let's put that little bit of pressure. So now we have a dog that's waiting a full second before they get their next cookies. Then I can progress that for a couple reps. And then if that goes well, I might do one and I might not replace the pairing, right? So like in the session, I might still have all my food, my food or my toy, whatever it is I'm doing out. Uh, but instead of replacing the toy or replacing the food, I might have one that's pure odor. And this is a test, okay? So it's not a bad thing if you don't pass, it just means you're not ready. So we already did the step where we have paired and then we have paired with inaccessible food. And we did the step where we waited. So we now we have a full second or a second and a half before we're stepping in and we have a dog that's still sticking for that long. At that point, now I'll do the next step where they don't have anything with the odor. If my dog shows, and that time, if my dog gives me changes on it, I'm not even expecting that, that time it takes for me to get to them. I'm almost like I'm verbally praising as I come in or whatever it takes before I even get a you know, again, we're not asking for decisions here, but that moment where they go, what, what is this, right? <laughs> I'm not even asking for that, what is this moment? I'm literally going, oh, you're sourcing it, perfect, reward, right? right. And, and then I have those intermixed. And this might sound like a lot of steps, but literally you can do it fast as long as you do it piece by piece. You've got that, you get some consistency with that until you can pull all the paired out and you're coming in, these have to be known, obviously, and you're coming in as they're sourcing. Now I'm going to do half step. Will my dog give me that, what is this moment before I step in with the cookie, right? So instead of like, oh, they're there before they even source it, I'm saying, okay, okay, now they're there and I'll go in, right? So you, you're, you're building upon each little step. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. I know that some people can be like, great. Okay, that works for interiors and exteriors and vehicles. What about containers? <laughs> Because now if I'm waiting for an inaccessible closed container that's paired, my dog is not destroying the containers. Now I'm getting faults. Thanks, Judith. <laughs> well, step one, maybe don't use uh, cardboard boxes for this piece. Use something that can't hurt, break, right? Okay. So um, that would be something like electrical boxes or a heavier wooden box or you basically anything. <laughs> I'm not telling you to use a concrete um, brick like that would hurt anybody but like I've seen some dogs that are big that like to push things around that like you set it in the brick so that they can't quite, quite do it right um so you can do that you can also say hey I'm going to do containers when I can have everything open right so when I can have the lids off I can do my containers but then when I'm going through this specific piece maybe I won't do containers for a few sessions while I work through this piece and then once they're showing me that they can give me the, what is this moment, right? At that time, I can go back to my containers because now they're not messing my containers up. Does that make sense? Because if they understand the containers with the open tops and then they understand the concepts with their vehicles, um, interiors, exteriors, buried, whatever, then they're gonna be able to understand it on the container. Perfect. No, I think that's really, really helpful. And it just to talk about and to think through it in the way that you described it, I think can help people because 
again, I think that a lot of times we get stuck on, well, I heard X and someone had some horror story and now I'm worried of blah, blah, blah. But they're not thinking about the way that you described it as far as the actual thought process of doing these things. So mm -hmm. it's not as though having your dog start on primary and go through all these different steps and learn all these concepts is bad. It's actually can be really helpful. It can be really yeah. effective for your training. But thinking about like what you were talking about, that there's consequences to everything and consequences are not bad. They're just results of things that you have to deal with. And now you have to make new decisions and be mindful and thoughtful about it. And again, I like the way that you're describing that. Yes, there's this a process, but it's not like you're going to be doing this for like a year. <laughs> like, yeah. <it's> <laughs> yeah. You asked me to break it down. I'm like, well, I can break this down step by tiny step if you right. want. You know? And no, but it's perfect because I think that it makes it less mysterious for people where they think like, oh my God, I'm going to have to do this for, you know, the next three years before I can do anything. I wanted the pretty title, Judith. It's like, well, it's not going to take that long. <laughs> no, no, it really, really doesn't. Um, and the other thing too, that I wanted to touch on that I didn't say when it comes to using primary is if anything ever goes wrong, especially if you have a more sensitive dog, if your dog's still on primary or at least paired and say the stack of boxes falls over and your dog is sensitive and it freaks them out and they run off into the great beyond and you're like, oh no, now what do I do? If they're on primary, they're so much more likely because instinctually, right? They're more likely to say, all right, I can, I'm going to come back. I might sneak up on it. I might act weird about it, but I can come back and kind of try to work through this versus if it's only odor they might suddenly decide that odor is just not worth it, right? Because right? they already have to go through these extra steps, they're already conflicted, they're already a little unsure what's going on, and now suddenly boxes are falling on their heads? Why do right. I want them? <laughs> right. So have you, and this will be what we'll wrap up with really quickly, is have you actually had either client dogs or dogs that you've worked with that have had those kinds of experiences on odor, and how difficult or challenging was it to get them back onto odor? That's something that I'm always warning people about. Like, this is a possibility, but if you've actually have a thing that you can share, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I'll, I'll share, I'll share one of my detection dogs. We were working a dog and we were putting them on actual odor, um, like, like actual odor, odor for detection. And, um, the dog was on a long line because we didn't want to the location we were, it's a long story location we were in, we needed to be on a long line. Um, and the dog got wrapped and, and we had a, a novice handler handling the dog, which pros and cons, but you don't learn without handling, right? And the line got wrapped around a vehicle, like, um, like they went around the vehicle and then it was like the bumper, like it got stuck in between the bumper and the, right. And then the dog was like booking it around this corner and then got yanked like yanked and then at the same time i'm really lucky that we were at like a scrap like we were at like a junkyard scrapyard so this guy was not mad at me but i was like the dog so when it, the dog was booking it so hard that first off he came off his feet which was i was like anyway long start but um came off his feet and the bumper was already apparently not fully attached and partially came off too and made this really loud screeching noise and the dog was like okay I'm done I'm done I just got like seriously corrected you know it doesn't matter we didn't mean to correct the dog like the dog got seriously corrected the line was wrapped around this bumper the bumper made this huge screech then the dog wanted to leave and it was still screeching because it was like tied around it 
and there was luckily there was like three of us so like one of us almost it's like here dog and like holding the dog and the other person was holding the line so it would stop moving the bumper and so we could get it unwrapped like it was a mess but that dog was like "Mm -mm, I am done I am not finding meth again thank you um and it took you know, we kind of went backwards and we worked, we actually worked environmentals completely separate. We worked noise and a bunch of different things like that with the dog first. And we actually used toys, like, cause it was a toy reward dog. So we went and worked noise environmentals or stimulus using their primary, not specifically hunting for it, but just as part of it. So that they started to associate the thing that was scary with the thing that they, that they liked and then went actually back to some pairing work and then we're able to bring the dog completely back from there so yeah it was sort of a mess (laughs) but yeah it's it's but I I appreciate you sharing that because it's helpful for people to really appreciate that this is particularly for people who are in the sport world again this is all voluntary and it's all extracurricular activities we're not out there you know saving lives but your dog is just trying to determine like okay is this worth it to me to do this, but they could also make that association, like what you were talking about, if that were to happen or something similar, that, hey, I smelled birch, the car tried to eat me, and my feet fun- suddenly came out from underneath me. But at the very same time, maybe, you know, there was a plane flying overhead, or maybe there was a, a person in a, in a red hoodie that walked by. So now those things are added into the picture of what could potentially be scary. So yeah. then you're like, oh, look, my dog is terrified of planes and red hoodies too. It's like, yeah, yeah no, this, this is all bad. <laughs> this is all bad things. I knew a dog that was scared of cows because of that. Yeah. It's um, crazy. Weird, there was there were cows in the pasture next to where the dog was working, and the dog decided they were scared of cows after that. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's I, and but I appreciate you you sharing that because it it underlines that this is absolutely a thing. So we should be very protective over our, our odor. Don't rush into it. Take your time. Have your dog understand the concepts, particularly if you are interested in competing. Like that yeah. is you need your dog to like odor. <laughs> if they suddenly yeah. decide that my my odor is deadly to me or is scary, you're up shit's creek. So. Yeah. Well, and you really, and and you really want to make sure, like, take the, like, don't be afraid to take the time it takes to build that foundation, um, both for the skills of, on, of hunting and whatnot, but also when you do get to the association part, don't rush it. Don't be like, all right, they're imprinted, go. Like, take your time and make sure that your dog is solid, because you want, that. that's the foundation for what your dog will do for the rest of its search life. So especially if you want to, especially if you want to be competitive, you need that association to be uh, trying to think welded. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, there's a word here I need for bond. (laughs) Yeah, but it's, it's a really good point. And the fact that I just hope that people can just take a breath. The ribbons and the titles are not going anywhere. They will still be there in, you know, a couple of months in a year. It doesn't matter. Take your time, have your dog really understand and so that when you do go to trial, it's not that big of a deal. It's like, oh yeah, sure. We're, we're basically just doing another field trip search with my person. They seem yep. a little bit more nervous and weirder than usual, but whatever. We're just on a new place to find the stuff that I like. And then I get cookies and toys. Great. Yeah. <laughs> well, and even that, um, I know it's not what we're really talking about, but touch on it really fast. Because sure. I did mention proofing. Um, those nerves from your trials and stuff, don't be afraid before you go to trial to actually try to simulate those nerves in training, whether it's by having a friend put like time pressures, like completely unrealistic time pressures on you or having someone take symbols, as long as it's not gonna freak your dog out, take symbols off in the corner and drive you nuts with it or 
like have people like constantly talk, whatever it takes, but whatever it takes to make you eat, like have heightened like nervousness or energy or even frustration, right? Because if you can simulate that in training, then when you actually go to that trial, it's even less of a thing to your dog. They're like, oh, I've seen mom do this before. She's just a weirdo. Right. <laughs> Oh, that's perfect. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and having this great discussion all about primary and all these other things. I really think it's going to help people better understand. Is there anything coming up for you that you wanted to share as far as things that people can look forward to as far as what you're offering either through us or if you're officiating for any trials, if you're doing any other workshops or speaking engagements that people can know about? Uh, I don't have my calendar in front of me, but I know that I am judging a trial in Hawaii um, Ooh. next month. <laughs> Um, we have the, I have a USCSS course starting in the beginning of March uh, with you guys for the games specifically. And then we're doing an entire series after that one for um, one class for each level. But the very first one is just the games because they're super fun and you can do them at any level. So that's, that's why we decided to start there. Always start with the fun. Then we can figure out the other stuff later. <laughs> um, Perfect. And then I believe I have a webinar on the, I want to say the 15th, but I might yeah. be off. Yes. And that one is um, for, if you just want to talk about that quickly, that's about the more than odor environmental considerations. So if people are like, what's this about? <laughs> yeah. So, so basically what we're, so what I'm doing in that webinar is I'm talking about some of the other things that go into your search. So yes, you go out there, you need a dog that finds odor, you, you proof them off things you don't want them to find, they know how to hunt, there's teamwork between you and your dog. Like all of this stuff is hugely important. But one of the other things that we don't consider a lot of times is the environment itself, especially if we're always training in our training location or, or, or whatnot. Um, and there's so many different variants of what we could come across. So that's that's kind of what we're talking about is some of the in, the actual the actual environment and things that we can do. So that could be like the considerations of the fact that you might be um, trialing in a school and you've never actually like what are the environment environmental factors you need to consider that are present in schools that might not be present in your normal train even if you do field trip training, maybe your field trip training is to your, your, you know, it's, you know, you train at your house, you train at your, your training facility, you train at the local park, right? Like you might go and train multiple places, but what are the factors that are present in say a school environment? If you know that's coming up, okay, well, have I simulated that stuff in any way, shape or form? Like, what do I need to, like, um, have I trained around children? right? Have I trained around bicycles? Have I trained around playground equipment? Because it's weird and sometimes odor does weird things around playground equipment because of the way the plastic is, right? Um, or have I trained uh, in a museum? Like I'm in a museum, like maybe it's in a museum and uh, okay, have I, have I considered the, the concept of working around breakable objects? Are, are our skills appropriate for working around these breakable objects, right? Mm -hmm. So just things like that. So that's, that's basically what we're covering is just talking about, okay, what are some of the other factors you need to consider past your actual teamwork and skills, and then making sure breaking it down and then making sure that you actually uh, work on those. Or if you don't, understanding that you haven't worked on them. So when you go into the situation, you, you know, this is a thing and what's my management technique. Perfect. 
Very excited about that. Well, thank you very much for taking the time for talking to us. I think Kamek was a fantastic co-presenter and, and was a great participant in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> all right. So thank you so much. So I want to thank Judith for having this conversation with us, talking all about primary and ways that we may be able to leverage it a little bit more in our training when we're talking about scent work. I did just want to provide a little bit more information about the various things we have coming up that you may be interested in. So Judith is going to be offering a variety of different webinars and courses for us, but in particular, she is going to be having her USCSS It's Game Time Trial Prep course. <laughs> this is going to be a really great thing to lay out all the various game classes that are offered through United States Canine Sense Sports, which is also an international titling organization. So even if you're not located in the United States, USCSS is growing internationally as well. So if you want to have a better understanding about those game classes and how you may be able to prepare for them for trial with your dogs, I definitely encourage you to check that course out. Judith is also going to be coming back for a variety of different webinars with us, including her More Than Odor Environmental Factors webinar, which you talked about in the podcast episode. Strongly encourage you to check that out. I am also going to be offering a webinar that you may be interested in. It's building upon what we talked about in the podcast episode. It's called Hunting for Primary Tips and Tricks webinar. We'll go into a little bit more depth about what Judith was talking about within this podcast episode itself, and just things you may want to think about regardless of where you are in your training journey and ways that you may want to leverage primary when you're talking about your summer training. We look forward to having more conversations with the very talented instructors that we're fortunate enough to work with through Sutbury University, as well as some other outside speakers as well. But as always, I want to hear from you. Did you have any questions or comments about this podcast episode? We'll be posting this episode up on our website as well as the social media accounts. So you're always more than welcome to post a question or comment there. But thanks so much. Happy training. We look forward to seeing you soon.